Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. My name is T. Cooper, and I'm here to read to you from my new book, The Beaufort Diaries, illustrated by Alex Petrowski. It's a uh, little story about a polar bear who has to leave his home and uh, has nowhere else to go but Hollywood to uh, become a star. Chapter 1. If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I came from and what my parents were like and all that Inuit legend crap about how some of us shed our skins, walk upright, and become men. But I don't really feel like going into any of that because it's so boring, and if it bores me, then it sure as hell is going to bore you. What I will tell you is that my dad split boo-hoo, and my mom was always rattling on about how it was because times were hard, harder than they'd ever been, blah, 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 and that unlike back in the day, nowadays you couldn't buy a ring seal out there if you wanted to. The ice is shrinking and the temperature's rising, she repeated it daily, even though it always seemed cold as an Eskimo's tit to me. So my dad had to travel longer distances to bring home the blubber, and that's why he was gone all the time, to take care of us. Whatever. I bought her story then, but looking back, it just sounds like typical mother making excuses for absentee father BS to me. But I didn't always feel this way, and it's not where my story begins anyway. It starts with me, adrift on the broken sea ice in the place our family had lived for generations, the South Beaufort Sea. My mother had taken me out on a mission to demonstrate how to sniff out and sneak up on a seal, not that there were that many to be sniffed in the first place, But the next thing I knew, I heard the largest crack imaginable, and the ice beneath me started vibrating and shaking, and then a massive chasm gaped open between us, and the ice flow sheared free and started floating away, with me on it. My mother just stood there watching. I wanted to jump in and paddle back to her, but I was so hungry and tired, and she was getting so far away, I didn't think I could make it. Ma, why don't you swim to me? I think I was hollering, but I don't know if anything came out. I could tell she was crying as she grew smaller and smaller, and I drifted farther and farther. Soon she was gone, and I was all alone for the first time in my life, the only sound coming from the icy water slapping out a faint drumbeat against the bottom of my flow. Chapter 2 Contrary to what Pitbull Palin wants you to think, there is nothing natural for me about eating fish and berries. You don't just adapt. Face it. Fish is fishy, and berries, well, they're generally pretty bitter, and they taste like crap. Not to mention they don't fill you up. Nevertheless, when my little chunk of ice landed and jarred me from sleep, I didn't know how long I'd been floating or where the hell I was, but the first thing I sensed were little berries pelting me from somewhere above, bouncing off my head before settling into purple stains on the ice beside me. One of the blots almost looked to be the shape of my mother, or maybe it was a witch I couldn't really decide. How about that? I heard a man's voice say. Other people mumbled to one another and gathered to stare down at me on my flow. And then I realized I had to be in Alaska because the voice didn't say, how about that? He said, how about that? Like, regular. So I asked him something like, which way is home? But he just pointed north and laughed, his black brushy mustache twitching under a red nose. A little girl in a yellow raincoat tossed a dead fish down then, and it bounced twice before landing against my fur. I ate it. I had no choice. 
Eventually, people stopped coming around, so I hauled myself onto a splintery wooden dock and attempted a few wobbly steps to steady my ice legs. I was so stiff, my neck killing from the way I'd been sleeping with my head propped against a tiny crag of ice. I stumbled down what seemed to be the main street of town. There were rusty pickup trucks with rows of shotguns in their gun racks, a brightly lit check-cashing joint, and a couple ragtag liquor stores. Captain Patty's seafood beckoned, and I pressed my nose up against the window to scout out the scene inside. It smelled inviting, but I knew seafood didn't mean seal food. I jammed my paws into my fur and turned to go. But wait, there was something in there. What the? It was a $20 American bill, rolled up with a string of seaweed. Ma? Chapter 3 I gobbled a pile of crab legs that Rosie the waitress set in front of me, plus some raw salmon on the side. You know how people stranded in the desert are sometimes reduced to eating sand in their delirium? Well, that's how I thought of fish and crab. Rosie slid me some free seconds and cooed, You're awful handsome, while scratching the hair on my chin. I had four dollars left after tip. Back on Main Street, I passed by the window of a sporting goods store where I spotted a red hunting cap with one of those long bills and ear flaps. It was marked six ninety nine, but the guy let me have it for $4. I plopped the hat on my head. It seemed like the thing to do. I didn't care if it was corny. I thought I looked good when I saw my reflection in the mirror. Rosie had mentioned an ex-fiancé who'd just been hired on a fish processing boat that was leaving the next morning for a month at sea. She told me to ask for Joe, and I'd get on the rig no problem. So I was hired as a slimer on the line, killing, gutting, and sorting the catch. It was the lowliest job on the totem pole, besides chef's helper, but they didn't have a hairnet big enough for me. Thus began a seemingly endless stream of solitary days filled with ten-foot swells and hazy hallucinations of my mother bobbing in the distance. Nobody would talk to me, and I was so lonely, but it was the only work I could secure without papers. Eventually I moved on to a harvesting boat and worked my way up to deckhand, pulling in the catch and earning an actual percentage of the crew's share. I saved every paycheck in full what was there to spend it on, because I wanted to get out of Alaska as soon as possible, too much like home. You could say I grew up quick, thanks to a steady diet of surplus salmon steaks, flat, watery beer by the keg, and the same 10-year-old dog-eared copies of Jugs magazine that got passed around the bunks. Every night I had no choice but to listen as the other guys told non-stop, torrid tales about women, purportedly trying to teach me all I'd ever know once I got up on the horse myself. If I never hear another fishy fingers joke again, it'll be too soon. Those guys sure talked a game about the ladies, but Joe had warned me on that first morning as we undocked. Nights get long out here, kid. Sleep with one eye open. And I did. Chapter 4 Like most creatures, I've always been secretly intrigued by the palm trees and glitz of Los Angeles. After a season on this fishing rigs, working back-to-back -back excursions with overtime on most every shift, I figured I'd saved up enough money to make my move south. Everything I owned fit in one duffel, so I threw it over his shoulder, scribbled Hollywood or bust on a wet piece of cardboard, and started down the state highway, turning around and walking backwards any time a vehicle approached. The first semi-trucker who stopped made me sit in his empty, rickety livestock trailer, but he took me all the way to the Yukon. The next driver had blood-red eyes and hovered over the wide steering wheel with a suspicious expression on his face, but he let me ride inside his cozy and strangely meticulous sleeper cab. He complained about his wife in violent, sporadic outbursts, almost as though he was angry with me. She apparently had an addiction to the home shopping network and a severe hoarding problem to boot. He stayed out on the road as much to pay off her credit card bills as to escape his cluttered home. 
There was no room for him anymore, no clear surface even to sleep on. I just sat on his tidy bunk and listened quietly until we made it to Vancouver. Seattle and Portland were beautiful to watch flicker by from a window seat on the Greyhound, but I'd always heard they were rainy and depressing, so I kept my sights on the City of Angels. I changed buses in San Francisco, checked out the hate, and bought a massive, overstuffed mission burrito for the road, but then spent the bulk of the ride through Steinbeck country hovering over the toilet in the cramped restroom at the back of the bus. What the hell did they put in those things anyway? That goddamn burrito repeated on me all the way to L.A., but I was so excited when my paws hit Hollywood Boulevard that I didn't care one whit. It was both everything and nothing like I'd imagined. I figured I stuck out like a penguin in the Arctic, but there were hundreds of creatures of all shapes, sizes, and languages, and persuasions in Hollywood. Hell, I was the one who looked normal. Patting down the boulevard with stars literally under my paws, it hit me. I'd found home. I had just enough dough for first, second, and last month's rent on a room above the Frolic Palace on Hollywood near Vine. The freezer didn't work, and the carpet smelled like clove cigarettes, but Gary Cooper's star was right outside my building's front door, and it seemed like a corner of heaven to me. To subscribe to The Writer's Block, hear more stories, and see accompanying illustrations in this book, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.